Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Today, we had Zach Happenstall on the show. And I mean, this guy's a, a powerhouse. He started in, in 2018 after 14 months of searching for his first deal, you know, after quitting his job. And, and since then, I believe 50 acquisitions in the, in the multifamily space, 11 exits, uh, one of the largest purchasers or the largest purchasers in the, the Phoenix metro area um, as of, you know, the end of 2022. So very successful guy, very driven guy, and a lot of information and a, and a fun show. What do you think, Dre? I really like this one. You know, we've had a lot of guests on the show. And it's interesting that you know how you always know the difference when a guest goes very, very in detail of the analysis of the question that we asked yeah. him. He's, yeah. he's one of those guys, folks. I think that like Jerome Myers and a couple others, the more analytical types. I think Brock Morganson was another one. Mm-hmm. Like I say, every, craft, man. Right. Yeah. Everyone else, they would give good responses. But again, it's it's different when they take something, and it's almost like they dissect it. Like they answer it and then they dissect it even more into even more detail. So when when you finish and they finish answering the question, you like, man, that was super thorough and deeper deep. Is that you always think that and you always have that impression once they finish saying what they're saying. And 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 I definitely got that every step of the way in this episode because he it was really like he just he flowed. Like we would ask him a question or we would just talk about one concept and he would just go and go and go. But in a way that was engaging, not boring, but like he was just that thorough. And it's 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 almost like you know. The reason why he was so good at at putting together his answers because he's dealt with it so many times because of all the work he's done in the space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to your point, man, like the the answers were thorough and, and very very like meaty, which is what we're looking for. Yeah. So obviously, Ike and I are not gonna sh- spoil the show, but for my listeners out there, very be very in, in in tune and be ready for a very detailed episode on investing in multifamily real estate uh, from the bottom on up to someone that, as I mentioned, that has done over 10 full cycle deals. And we've said this before on the show, when we had previous guests, that means they took a deal from acquisition to close and return investors capital. And we're speaking in the syndication space. Uh, so without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. I'm your host, Dre Evans. I've got my great co-host here, Ike Eke. I want to thank everyone for tuning in for another great episode. If you're a first time listener, please leave us a five-star review. And if you're a returning listener, please check out the show. Hit the subscribe button. December 16th, I've got Ike here. We've got our special guest. Before we introduce him, let me check in with you, Ike. How you doing today? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And one of the primary reasons, other than the fact that we're so very close to the holidays, is that Christmas came a little bit early for me. I got an email earlier today from my mortgage broker letting me know that I just rate locked on a deal that I'm working on. And the rate came in at 535. Hey. Uh, we could probably do a whole podcast on how that how that happened. Um, but, you know, with, I would say, probably average 30-year mortgage rates in the sixes, um, if you're doing non uh non-qualified mortgages you're probably in double digits or or high high single digits so to come in at in the fives was uh was pretty awesome i'm pretty happy about that man how are you love it man i'm good man i'm excited for the holidays yes sir get some good cooking for mama see my brothers i'm all about it love it love it 
Well, with that said, let's introduce our guest today, Zach Haptenstall. He was born and raised in Phoenix, and he is the CEO and co-founder of Rise 48 Equities, uh, a super active multifamily shop out in Phoenix. And uh, we're excited to have him on the show. So with that said, Zach, welcome to the show. I'd love for you to tell our audience a little bit about your background, um, how to got how you got to where you are in the real estate space, and where do you plan to go in the future? Yeah, no, thanks so much, Ike, and thanks, Dre, for having me on. Really appreciate it, guys, and honored to be on your show here. And and yeah, I mean, um, so you know, I'm Zach Happenstall. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Rise 48 Equity. So we are a multifamily syndication group based here locally in Phoenix, Arizona. So we're looking for you know value add assets, typically at least 100 plus units, and you know, going in there, renovating interiors, exteriors to increase the rents, increase the value, um, to get that profit margin for our investors. And so, you know, since we started, we've purchased 38 different properties, all here in the Phoenix Metro, worth over 1.5 billion dollars, over 6,500 units. We've gone full cycle and sold 11 of those assets. Uh, we do all the the property management, construction management in house. We're completely vertically integrated. We have about a little over 170 full-time W-2 employees on, on full health care benefits right now. So we've really been able to build out a, a structure just solely focused on, you know, this kind of niche of the value add multifamily. But, you know, as, as far as my background, you know, I really don't have any background in real estate um, and, and didn't know anybody. You know, I just grew up in like a, a lower middle-class family, you know, here in, in the North Phoenix area. So, you know, didn't have like a rich uncle or anybody who knew anything about real estate. And, you know, probably like a lot of the listeners, you know, I was taught you you go to school, get good grades so that you can get a, a go to college and, and get a good job and, you know, save for retirement and all that. And so, you know, out of um, out of high school, I had a D2 football scholarship. So I went and did that. And then, you know, I wanted to go to the NFL, but realized I uh, not big enough or good enough to do that. <laughs> so, OK, I got to figure out a, a backup plan. And so, um you know, what I did is I went and I got my journalism degree. I wanted to be a sports reporter. So I was a, I was a sports reporter, live news anchor for Arizona PBS for a short time, which was cool at first um, reporting on teams things like that. and things. And then I quickly realized guys that, you know, I, you don't make any money doing that. And it wasn't as fun as I thought it's, it, it really was disappointing. Cause it was like, when it's your job, it's not, it's not as fun as you think. And so um, I was like, man, I don't want to do this. I, I have all this student debt. I had to take out loans for school. I was working full-time nights and weekends, uh, to pay for school. And so when I graduated, decided I don't want to do journalism anymore. I, um, I was like, I need to make money. So I, I went into healthcare marketing of all things, working for a hospice company as, as a marketer. So I'd wake up in the morning, just drive all around Phoenix, walk in and cold call on like, on like hospitals, doctor's offices, assisted livings, and build relationships with like physicians, nurses, social workers. When they had somebody needed, needed these hospice services. They call me I meet with the family, get them educated, get them signed up. So long story short, it sounds kind of weird, but it's very, it's a very lucrative and competitive private business industry, the, the hospice industry. And it's all federally regulated and reimbursed through Medicare. And in, in all humility, you know, I, I became one of the top, if not the top marketers in the Phoenix market. It's the number one market in the country. There's over a hundred of these companies. And so I was making pretty good money, you know, at a young age, by the time I was 23, I was making like 150K plus a year, making more money than both my parents combined, you know, making more money than both of them ever made in the whole, their whole life. I bought a house when I was 23. I paid off all my debt uh, with cash. I got my MBA when I was 24, you know, just doing school at night and paid that off cash. And so, you know, I was able to become financially established and, and fortunate to make good money. And so by the time I was 26, I was making like 200K plus a year, had no debt, had a house. 
um, and, you know, had a good amount of savings, but I was just completely miserable, you know, cause I was working seven days a week, just constantly on call grinding for something that I'm not passionate about anymore. And I had already achieved those initial goals of paying off debt, getting established. And I was like, well, what's next? And I felt like, you know, I just had hit a ceiling, but then I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but I knew that I had no time to even figure it out because I was just consumed by this, this job. And I felt like I had golden handcuffs too, right? Cause it's like, you know, you're making good money that most people don't make. You should be grateful, but you don't feel satisfied. And so it's a tough position, uh, but I didn't know anything about real estate. I, uh, in January of 2018, I said, you know what? Um, I don't want to do this. So I quit my job. I had, I had gained some sweat equity in that business. So I quit my job, sold my equity in that company. And I had no, no plan whatsoever. I just knew that I was, my goal was to try to create passive income somehow through real estate. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know anybody in, in the uh, industry whatsoever. Um, and so probably like a lot of people, you know, I read the rich dad, poor dad book. I started listening to podcasts, you know, like kind of like your guys' podcasts and reading books, things like that. So I was, I was initially before I even knew about multifamily looking at flipping homes. And I realized that's not what I want to do. I went about mobile home parks. I tried to buy a mobile home park with my own cash. I, I had almost 300 K of, of cash that I had just relentlessly saved for over four years, you know, making that, making that money with that job and following the Dave Ramsey plan and, and all that. Um, but anyways, long story short, four months into it, I, I found about multifamily, learned about it, you know, tried to really kind of build my team. And um, I went through that entire year just burning through savings, lost like all my confidence, you know, wasn't sure if I was doing the right thing. But 14 months after I lost that, or after I quit my job, I uh, closed on the first deal. Okay, so I put everything I had into that first deal. And that really gave me a lot of momentum, confidence to keep pushing forward. And so there's a lot of stuff that happened since then, obviously, but, you know, long story short, I took 14 months to buy the first deal. In 2019, we bought four deals. In 2020, we bought two deals. COVID really slowed us down. Near the end of 2020, we started getting off-market deal flow, started to gain our momentum. In 2020, 2021, we bought 16 deals worth $560 million. This year in 2022, we bought another 16 deals worth $870 million. And so it just kind of goes to show you if you really stay focused, you can scale and kind of get that momentum rolling. So that's, that's kind of, you know, how we kind of got to where we are now. Wow. And pretty, pretty interesting story. Incredible story, to be honest. I mean, that, that trajectory to, for, to get from, you know, wanting to play professional sports, which I, I think a lot of us do at, at, at a younger age to getting to the point where, you know, you have an established business is, is quite the story. Um, one of the first questions I, I had for you is that that period after you decided to quit your job, you know, relinquish the golden handcuffs and go all in on real estate, you, you mentioned it took you 14 months before you got that first deal. Can you, I mean, in, in as best you can, you know, describe what it felt like to, to go through that process. I'm sure you looked at hundreds of deals, talked to plenty of brokers and sellers and people in the industry as you were learning, uh, you know, the multifamily space. What was it like to go from, you know, basically slow, coming, going out of the corporate world and into your first deal, but it taking that amount of time? It was really tough, man. It was, it was really tough because because it's not like I was working in the real estate industry for some company and I knew what it was like. I, this was completely foreign language. I didn't know any of these terms. Um, I didn't know what what was going on with any of this stuff. And so, you know, it, it was really difficult for me. Um, and so the first couple of months, the first few months, I was just trying to consume as much knowledge as I could and just learn like a foreign language, basically all the terminology. 
And, you know, even, even going into it, like I was terrified and it's very, very, like, I was scared to call these brokers because it was very intimidating. You know what I mean? These are like big, big properties, big numbers. And I feel like I'm just some young guy who doesn't belong. You know what I mean? Trying to take down these big deals. And I think, you know, until you get into multifamily, I think that my whole life, and I think what a lot of people think is when you're driving by big commercial buildings, you're driving around any city, you probably think, well, you know, only like super rich people could buy that or mm -hmm. some big organization, right? You don't think that, you know, somebody who's just a regular lower middle-class person who doesn't have family connections could ever enter that space. And so that's, those are the things that are running through your head when you're trying to reach out to brokers, because you don't feel like you belong. You feel like, you know, you, you feel like an idiot, honestly, you know what I mean? And so it's really, it was tough for me to kind of push through the fear, but I think through that entire process, and I think people, anybody who's starting a company, I think can relate to this is that you just have to keep pushing through the fear and, and you can't listen to anybody. You can't take crap from anybody because a lot of people were telling me, what were you like, what are you doing? You know, even my own family's like, what are you doing? You're making all this money. Like, it doesn't make sense. And you, you can't listen to any of those people. If you decide that you have a goal and you have to keep attacking it. But, you know, there was multiple times through those 14 months, um, especially the first 10 months before we got the deal under contract, where I think mentally and emotionally, I had to quit multiple times because you get discouraged and you're like, I don't know what to do. Like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, what do I do today? Like, how do I move the needle? You don't, when you don't have a job, you don't know what you're supposed to do. There's nobody telling you what to do. You go from making fat checks every two weeks and being, you know, really like an elite, elite performer in your industry to now not even having an identity, you know what I mean? And, and then you're just burning through money. So it was really tough, but it was kind of an evolutionary process for me where you try to, you, you really start to gain like very thick skin and, and you just start to kind of, I kind of developed like a lone wolf mentality almost, you know what I mean? Not to sound cliche, but it's like, I don't really care what anybody says and I'm just going to go do it now. And, and I get to the point where it's like, I'm going to throw everything I have at it. And I've got nothing to lose anymore because I feel like I'm already this deep into it. Cause, cause at the, at the time I had almost 300 K well, by the time we got under contract, I had been flying around to conferences, joined mentorship programs, doing all kinds of stuff. I had like 165 K left and I put 160 into the first deal. So I was wow. all, I knew I was going to be broke yep. and, and I was. And so when we were under contract, um, before we closed, like a month before we closed, I knew that I needed more money to get earnest money for the next deal. And so I told my girlfriend at the time, Grace, and now my wife, I said, I got to unload this house because I need money. Um, and so I listed my house for sale before I even closed the first deal. And then a little bit after we closed the first deal, uh, we sold, we sold the house and I got like 120 K from that house. And the very next week I wired hundred K non-refundable into a portfolio of a 59 unit and a 76 unit. I would have never done that earlier in the year because I would have been terrified. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So it's, it's just like, you just, you just go through this entire prof, this the entire process. And, um, you start to deploy, you still really start to like, you know, evolve. And, and some people might say that sounds crazy. Right. But, but I got to the point where I understood everything. I felt confident and I felt like I was taking a calculated risk and I had already spent so many months. Cause again, it's not like I had a job. This is all I was doing. So some people might say, well, that, that was really fast. Well, when it's all you're doing and you wake up and that's all you're focused on, it seems like a really long time because there was a lot of lonely days where I'm like, what do I do today? Um, so you get to the point where you're like, you know what, how can I collapse this time frame? And I want to get to this point. I'm just going to throw everything I have at it. Cause what do I really have to lose besides money, obviously. And, and it was mm -hmm. tough. Like I worked so hard those four years to save that money. It, it was actually very like 
devastating some days where I'm like, I just feel like I'm burning through this money and I know how hard it is and how long it takes to get it. You know what I mean? So it's just definitely a mind shift for sure. But I think you have to just keep pushing yourself when you want to grow. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's that, and I don't want to call it a cliche because it's absolutely true. In fact, your story is living proof of it, but there's something to that burn the boats mentality that, you know, when you know that if you don't go out and produce something, your cash pile or whatever you have in a bank is slowly diminishing, maybe even quickly diminishing. There, there is another gear that you you put yourself into, uh, to to create you know value and create success for yourself. So, uh, I would say your story is is a huge huge testament to that. Um, there there was a a point you mentioned when you were discussing or or describing what your business is now. Uh, you mentioned that your business is vertical vertically integrated. Um, I I feel like you know a, not a lot of people that are getting started in real estate understand what that means. So. For someone like yourself that has, you know, built a company in the space, it'd be it'd be super helpful for them, I think, if you would describe what that means and what that entails. Yeah, yeah, great question, Ike. So, so to give people an idea, probably the majority of multifamily operators or sponsors throughout the country, you know, like let, let's say the three of us, you know, to give the listeners an example, want to go buy an apartment and we want to syndicate it. You know, what most people do, and what we did in the beginning for for the first couple of years is you know, the three of us will partner up, we will get the deal on a contract, raise the money, um, acquire it, but we're going to use a third party property management company that we're paying a monthly fee. And that property manager company is going to basically employ all of the on site maintenance leasing manager, and they're going to run the property for us, right. And we're going to, you know, have weekly or bi weekly calls and make sure they're doing what they're, they're supposed to do. But they're a third party fee based company. Whose, whose job is to run these properties. And we're also going to use third-party construction management, um, meaning that there's going to be people that are sourcing, bidding out our vendors and construction crews and managing them, making sure they're renovating these units on schedule and on time. And we're going to use third-party labor, third-party uh, vendors, like roofers, plumbers, things like that. And so, you know, that's what most people do, which is fine. You, know, you can make it work. And for us, the first 2,000 units or so, it was working fine. But as we started to gain more scale, and also the timing of post COVID, you know, ever since COVID across the country in multiple different industries, there's a depleted labor pool, right? There's just not as much people who want to work or, or talent, whatever it may be, for whatever reason. And so what was started happening to us is that we started seeing more and more turnover at our property level staff. So these are employees of the third party manager company, but they're running our property, right? Mm-hmm. So we've started having more turnover, you know, which is not good. And unfortunately it never actually negatively impacted the properties, but it's because our staff, we started hiring staff initially like an asset manager, construction manager were our first couple hires. Well, they were having to micromanage this property management company to make sure that they're performing well. And it's taking them away from what their focus should be with asset management, construction management. And I remember in the span of five months, we had four different property managers leave and get picked off by other property management companies. Other property management companies would show up on set of our properties and offer them more money, better benefits to go somewhere else. And, they're, and of course, they're going to take it, right? And so they leave. And so um, the problem with third-party property management is it's a very low profit margin business. So it's a crappy business model to get into if you want to make money. And so these, these property manager companies can't be very competitive offering more money. You know, to, to, so what we did is we went vertically integrated to answer your question, Ike, started our own property management company where we employ all of the regional directors, the maintenance, the on-site leasing, all those people. 
we control all the construction management. So our staff is sourcing, bidding out, and um, managing these vendors on a day-to-day basis. Um, and you know, our whole philosophy was that we know we know property management is not a high profit margin business. Our goal is not to make money on that business. We we want to just break even. If we can make a little bit of money, great. But we need to break even. And the whole philosophy is we're going to pay the most competitive compensation, the best healthcare benefits in the market to recruit and retain the best staff and the best talent so that the properties can run very well and that we have consistency and continuity. So we pay top of the market compensation. We heavily bonus and incentivize our staff to the point where they really can't make more money anywhere else. And then we cover, we cover 100% of all their medical dental vision and 50% of all their dependents for healthcare benefits. And so it's very competitive and lucrative and allows us to recruit and pick people off from other companies. It allows us to retain people to where it's almost like a lot of our staff now has golden handcuffs, right? And not to say that they want to leave because a lot of them, most of them are happy, you know, but um, they have to weigh that, right? It's like, if I'm going to leave Rise 48, I'm probably going to make less money or less benefits. And so we want the best people. We want them to stay on, on track because if they're, if they're the best, the property will perform well, and then investors are happy. And the equity company is our high profit margin business. That's where we make the money, right? So if, if, if our properties are performing, we can raise more money, buy more deals, and it all kind of feeds itself. So, you know, be, getting to the point where you're able to support that really has given us a lot of efficiencies and scale to where now, not only are we vertically integrated, we buy all of our materials directly wholesale overseas. So we control our supply chain 100% and, and control all these materials. And we have a lot of leverage. I mean, right now, we're renovating between 70 to 100 units a month um, in Phoenix. We're probably renovating more units than anybody in Phoenix. I mean, we're the number one buyer of apartments in Arizona over the last year. You know, we just passed like Blackstone, Goldman Sachs. We've got over 5,000 units right now. So what it does is it gives us a lot of leverage and buying power with not only materials, but with labor. So we still use third-party construction companies to do the actual renovations, but our staff is sourcing them, bidding them out, managing them. And it gives us a lot of diversification because we have like nine or 10 companies that we work with and all of them have multiple crews. Well, if somebody says like, can't hit your budget, we'll just say, okay, you're fired. We'll use somebody else. And, and they'll say, oh, wait, 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 no, I'll make it work because they know they're going to get that consistent volume. So, you know, these things, you have to be able to have enough revenue on the front end to go vertically integrated, to be able to support staff. And, you know, we can talk about how you generate that, but you know, we've been able to, we've been fortunate to be able to gain scale and, and get those efficiencies of, of being vertically integrated. I love it. Very detailed. We're going to move on to the second part of the show, the legacy round. So Zach is going to be an open forum on one of the following three topics that you can pick from, or you can do round round, but hit all three in rapid style. Your favorite acquisition that forever changed the trajectory of Rise 48, your business, practical tips on how to grow a portfolio or how to build your investor network. In, in your experience with Rise 48, what was the, what deal that you really feel took you to the next level? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the first deal was obviously an easy one. That was a big one um, just because it, it got the monkey off my back. You're kind of in the, in the game, so to speak. But I think, you know, the fourth deal was also big as well because the fourth deal we did was that same year. It was a hundred plus units that gets you into a next tier in the eyes of the brokers. You see that credibility. What about practical tips on how to grow a portfolio? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you have to really focus. I mean, so here's the thing. I know a lot of people are trying to get into this that are looking at different markets, different things like that. I know it's not always easy to do a, do deals in a market you live in. But if you can focus on a market that you live in or that you can get to frequently and just focus on one market, don't try to spread your energies too thin. Just you need to laser focus on this is my asset class. 
this is my size range, this is my business plan, and try to build scale, okay? Just be the best in that one niche. You don't need to do self-storage, ATMs, all those things. I mean, not to say you can't do that, but you need to get some scale in one focus is, is my experience, my, my advice. And how to build your investor network? Yeah, so, so raising money is really tough, okay? And so um, it's very, very difficult. You know, a lot of people think it's so easy, it's not at all. Um, the biggest thing is that you need to get the first deal at all costs, okay? Whatever you have to do to get in the first deal, you don't have to syndicate it. We tried to syndicate the first one and we failed. We couldn't raise the money because nobody wanted to invest with somebody who has no experience. So I had to bootstrap it and find a 1031 exchange, find some people to put in bigger chunks. I put all my money into it. But once you get the first deal, now you have a track record and some credibility that you can point to with other investors, okay? And so, you know, putting your own money in a deal, um, getting a little bit of a track record, just focus on getting the first deal and executing on that deal because the way that we've really built our investor network is once we started selling deals. You know, the, the, the golden term that investors want to hear is, you know, going full cycle. Have you sold the deal? Have you executed the plan? Because once we started selling deals and having strong results, we've sold 11 deals. Each, each time we get flooded with investor referrals, okay? It's like, where were you guys before? But like those investors that were in that deal will refer their friends, family, colleagues. So just focus on getting the first deal, executing it, performing. It doesn't mean you have to sell the first deal before you buy the second and third one because we bought a bunch, but you, you need to focus on getting in a deal, performing, and, and you need to just figure out how to get the investors on those first few deals. It's going to be tough. You got to bootstrap it, but that momentum will keep snowballing as you start to perform. All right, we're going to move on to the last segment of the show, the Giordano round. As you know, this is the multifamily by the slice podcast and Giordano's is the number one pizza spot known for these big, thick slices of pizza that'll leave your mouth full. So these are going to be a series of questions between Ike and myself that we're going to ask you that'll leave our listeners full and satisfied. So the first one, you're on the top of the highest mountain in the world. These are the last words before you die. What will you scream out to the world and want them to remember you, Zach? Bye. I would just want them to say that, um, you know, Zach, Zach helped me or inspired me when I needed it. Like, that's the biggest thing is like, you could look to me to kind of help lift you up or provide advice and kind of have your back. Zach had my back. How about that? Zach had my back. That's the answer. Nice. Number two, if there was one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started or advice you could pass on to others, what would it be? Yeah, I would say try to identify like what your skill set is and what your weaknesses are and try to go find like that one business partner who's like your perfect complement. And it's not easy to do. It took me like dating seven or eight different people. Um, but you need to try to identify what am I good at? What am I missing? And try to find that. Don't try to do it all on your own and do whatever you have to do to collapse that time frame. If that means going to conferences, if that means paying for an expensive mentorship because you might meet the right person who's your partner, you need to have like that compliment. In my case, it's my, my partner, Bikron, Bikron Sandu, our CFO. You know, he's the ultimate compliment to my skill set and his strengths are my weaknesses. And so I think that's the thing you have to do is collapse the time frame to find the right partner. Okay. What are your favorite or three most critical real estate terms multifamily investors should know and why? Yeah, it's a good one. That's a good one. There's so many different terms. I don't know. You should know what a cash call is because hopefully you don't want to have to do one if you're, if you're an investor. Um, I mean, cap rate is important to know if you're, if you're more of a beginning investor, you know, cap rate, net operating income, um, and uh, cash call. I'll give that for the, the three terms. All right. Education is critical in this business. What books, apps, mastermind groups, or podcasts would you recommend listeners immerse themselves in? 
Well, you got to start off with multifamily by the slice. Number one podcast. Yep. You got to consume that. You got to fill your, fill your stomach with that pizza. (laughs) That's number one. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I like to listen to audiobooks, And so, um, you know, one book, I mean, a lot of people have like heard the kind of the mainstream books, but one book that not a lot of people know about, I feel like that I like is called how to own your own mind by Napoleon Hill. So he's the same author as how to think and grow rich. Um, which everybody's pretty much read, but how to own your own mind goes deeper into these principles where he's interviewing um, Andrew Carnegie, I believe it is mm-hmm. the uh, steel maven, right? So it, what it, what it talks about is Carnegie just focuses on, he, he just stresses focus on one thing. Do not spread your attention among all these things. Just be the master of one thing. And then you can really dominate that one thing. So I think that's a good one that I, I would suggest people listen to. And then I like, I like how can't hurt me by David Goggins. A lot of people probably heard that one. I've listened to it like, you know, 10 or 12 times, just mental toughness. And, and that attitude, I think you can apply that to business. It doesn't have to be a physical nature. You can apply it to a tough attitude where you don't take crap for anybody else. So I think, you know, that's a good one too. All right. Well, appreciate you for coming on the show, Zach. I'm Dre Evans, the host of the Multi-Family Body Size Podcast. You got Ike, aka the other host. Thank you everyone for tuning in for another great episode. We'll check you out on the next one. Be blessed.